Well, good morning. Um, our teaching pastor, Marty, is out of town this week for some needed rest and just to get away. And so my name is Jim. If you are visiting with us today, it's just great to have you with us. And so I'm just so glad to be able to be a part this morning of the church, be able to open up his word uh, to you today. Uh, last Sunday, the weekend was absolutely wonderful, wasn't it? If you were here, uh, Friday night was so wonderful. It's um, to come and worship together and honestly leave with weighty thoughts of Jesus and his crucifixion and then be able to come together Sunday. And I, I tell you, if you were here for our brunch, for all those folks who helped with it, thank you. It was absolutely wonderful. And then time of worship together, I hope that last week, you know, as we celebrated last week, we celebrate our justification. This morning, we're going to talk about sanctification. I thought it would be fitting as we follow the resurrection weekend because of all that Jesus did in his life, perfect life, fulfilling God's law, living it perfectly, dying a death that you and I could not die to satisfy the wrath of God and then to rise from the dead, proving that God was satisfied with his sacrifice and you and I could be purpose, purchased and justified. Justification, what an absolutely wonderful truth. And then today, we're going to talk about sanctification. And for some of us, maybe like me growing up, I really didn't understand the difference. And yet, knowing the difference is really, really, really important. Understanding what justification is and then understanding if you have been justified by Christ alone, then now for the rest of your life and my life, we will be in this process called sanctification. And it is really important to get them both straight. In fact, I'll just give you a kind of example. I, I have to tell you, I am a pretty good cook. I think I can stand with many of you culinary people. I don't think anyone can cook vanilla pudding like I can. This right here, this is some of the best stuff ever made. I have perfected it. I know the exact amount of whisks to do it in the bowl and how long to do it. I set a timer so I can do it. My wife is always upset. I have a timer for everything except for my preaching this morning. Just let you know that, like, yeah, I do. That, those guys back there, they'll be doing this, all right. But I, I have perfected it because now what I do is I put nutmeg in this instant pudding. It, pudding, nutmeg pudding, different level. It's amazing. I hope you heard what I just said, instant pudding, instant. I am a really good instant pudding maker. So one day I had a hankering to have some pudding. So while I was at the store, I just went and grabbed a pudding. And I went home and I did all the things that I normally do, and it was a disaster. Some wicked person decided to make pudding that you have to cook. <laughs> like, there's instructions. You have to, who cooks their milk? And then you have to do all this, this process, and it was a disaster, and I don't do that anymore. 
no more. Instant is the thing to go. Well, I hope you kind of know what I'm getting at. Justification is an instant thing, miracle of God. It's absolute, a miracle of God. In fact, if you will, look in your bulletin. In your bulletin, I put a couple of the catechisms, and one of them, if you'll look at it, you get there, and it is called the Westminster Shorter Catechism. It's the question 33, and it says this, justification. And so what I want to do is just read through this, and then I'm going to put the passages that follow this. And I just want you to kind of look at them as we talk about, for a moment, justification. Justification is an act of God's free gift wherein he pardons all our sins. And so in Scripture, there in Romans, I wonder if you'll look at that, it's really Romans 23, and so it's 23 through 25, but it says this, we're justified by grace as a gift through the redemption, I'm sorry, because verse 23 says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forth as a propitiation by His blood. To be received by faith, this was to show God's righteousness, because in His divine forbearance He had passed over. It doesn't mean that He overlooked sin, but because of His patience He passed over former sins. And so the rest of it goes like this. The justification is an act of God's free grace wherein he pardons all our sins and accepts us as righteous in his sight. In 2 Corinthians, if you look here, for our sakes he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. It goes on to say, only for the righteousness of Christ imputed to us. And here's a couple of passages. I want you, if you will, look at them. And it says this, for if by one man's trespass, talking about Adam, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Christ. And it goes on to say, and received by faith alone. And here, if you would, I want you, if you would, read this with me, would you? Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ, so that we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ And not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. And then there's just one other. And be found in him, having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. And so, long time ago... Some pastors, they got together and they put together the catechism just to kind of put together for, honestly, for the people who didn't have the Scriptures themselves, a copy of the Bible to help them understand deep truths of the Scriptures, put this together. 
understanding about justification. Now, honestly, as you read through that, I just have to tell you, the way I grew up in the church I grew up in, that the only thing mentioned in all of these passages that would give an idea that I or man would have any part in their salvation would be the exercise of faith. And so I grew up with, like, it depends on how much you believe. Like, how much faith do you have? It never was really about objective faith, who you put your faith in, but it was about how much faith I could muster up in myself. And so I remember as a young man kind of going back and forth, like, did I believe enough? Did I say the right words? Like, and it kept coming back, I don't know if I believed enough when, when I prayed. But I want you to realize something, and I think you do, but the faith is a gift from God also. Because Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, many of you know this, all right? Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. In fact, if you will in your worship guide, there's some quotes to the left of your notes. If you would, look at the one by John MacArthur. I just want to read it to you. When we accept the finished work of Christ on our behalf, we act by faith supplied by God's grace. That is the supreme act of human faith, the act which, though it is ours, is primarily God's, His gift to us out of His grace. When a person chokes or drowns and stops breathing, there is nothing he can do. If he ever breathes again, it will be because someone else started him breathing. A person who is spiritually dead cannot even make a decision of faith unless God first breathes into him the breath of spiritual life. Faith is simply breathing the breath that God's grace supplies. Yet the paradox is that we must exercise it and bear the responsibility if we do not. And so justification is an instant act of God's grace in our lives. For me, I can remember around 20 years old. I remember I was sitting in kind of a setting like this, but it was at more of a youth camp. We were in the mountains. It was later at night, and the guy was preaching the gospel. And even though I grew up in church and I had heard many of these words and passages over and over again, it wasn't until then that honestly that God opened up my heart. And for the first time I heard those words... I realize that is me without Christ. I had this incredible desire like I had never had before. It was the Spirit of God drawing me, opening up my heart. And I remember I responded. My response was, oh God, I need you to become the boss of my life. And I just remember my life changed. There wasn't like a thunderstorm, tornado, or anything like that. But inwardly, I realized something different is happening. And now, for 40-some years, it is like every day is a new day. The Lord is doing this incredible work in me. What is it now? It's sanctification. 
But at the particular time, it was, I was justified. So before we go any further, I, I just want to ask you this question. Maybe it would be like just you and I having coffee together, or maybe just talking in the hall. And I'm asking you, and, and I think that here comes a, kind of a, a, a temptation sometimes when we're in a large group. We can think that the preacher or whoever speaking is just talking to somebody else. But I would like for you to hear this like it is you. I am asking you, have you been justified? Has there been a time in your life where you sensed the call of God deep within, like you couldn't shake it? In fact, it might even be today that you sense this has never been true before, but now it is. In fact, it might be someone listening, or you might hear this later if someone listens to this message later, and you realize it's new. It's like the Spirit of God is drawing you. And I, I, I just want to encourage you, if you do, just stop right now and just call out. Just say, oh God, I need you in my life. And be justified by faith alone that comes from Him. And so I want to talk today and throughout this year when I get opportunity to share with you, I want to talk about sanctification. In fact, if you will, there's one more on your notes if you'll see it. Westminster Shorter Catechism. The question 35, it, is, it asks a question and then the answer is this. Sanctification, and again, that's the cooking pudding, right? That's the kind, it's not instant, it is a process. In fact, it is a lifelong process that for those of you that have been justified, it is a process that will last for a lifetime. And it says this, sanctification is the work of God's free gift, whereby we are renewed in the whole man after the image of God and are enabled more and more to die unto sin and live unto righteousness. So I wonder if you would for a minute, I want you, if you take your Bible and open it up, turn to, if you will, Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. And so I have put those passages there in case you get lost or if you find it difficult maybe to, to find it or maybe you're new to the faith or new to the scriptures and you have a hard time finding, just look these up later. Maybe I'll read these. But if you can, find Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. First of all, I just want to talk to you about the guarantee of this. God has begun a, a work in you, and His promise is that He will complete it. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, it says this. Some of your translations say this, I am sure, or some might say, I am persuaded or confident of this, that he who began a good work in you. So Paul, he's talking to these believers, and he wants them to realize that the, the thing that God has began working in them, justification, he is going to continue that, and he's going to complete it. And so maybe you've heard this before, or maybe this is new, but when it comes to justification, that's an instant thing that happens in your heart. And it might go like this. Justification, 
you have been saved from the penalty of sin. And then in sanctification, it would maybe go like this. Sanctification, you are being saved from the power of sin. And so it is a lifelong process. In fact, I probably skipped a slide, but there's one that says that sanctification is a messy, it's a glorious, but messy. And what I mean by messy is not that it is like messy and how you would think, but it's like at times God is, he is sanctifying you and he's using every opportunity available. It's like you can't necessarily write out a schedule of how he was going to sanctify you. Like he can use every incident, every conversation with someone. He can use the things in your home. He will use your marriage. He will use your parenting. He will use your grandparenting. He will use your job. He'll use everything to be sanctifying you. And then he goes on and finishes this verse, Philippians 1, 6, by saying this, And he will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. And again, that is glorification. Because glorification, you will be saved from the presence of sin. Again, I found a quote I love by Myers. If you'll look over there at this quote, F.B. Myers, it says this, We go into the artist's studio and we find unfinished pictures covering large canvases suggesting great designs, but which have been left, either because of genius was not competent to complete the work or because paralysis land the hand low in death. But as we go into God's great workshop, we find nothing that bears the mark of haste or insufficiency of power to finish. And we are sure that the work which His grace has begun the arm of his strength will complete it. He's just saying what Philippians 1, 6 says, is that he who began a work in you is going to complete it. He is working in your life in sanctification. Now, I want you to hear this, because as a young Christian, I got justification and sanctification mixed up. If you think that justification is a process, like you've got to work for it, then you're already in the error. Because justification, you cannot add to and you can't do a thing about it. It is a God's work in your life by Him alone. But sanctification is different because it is a process that involves you as a believer, me as a believer, to put forth and hear this, I hope you hear it carefully, that will take some effort. You did not hear it said that your justification will take you some effort. Your sanctification will require some effort on your part. So I was kind of like the let go and let God in the sanctification, and yet that is not what Scripture teaches. In fact, I might say it like this. Our sanctification is neither self-reliant activity, nor is it passive let go and let God, but it is God-enabling effort of being changed into the image of Christ. If you will, you're in Philippians. Turn over, if you will, to chapter 2. Chapter 2, verses 13, 12, and 13. 
So Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Stop. It didn't say work for your salvation. It is talking about sanctification. The process that you and I are in right now, if you're a believer. It says to work it out. Here's what's interesting. It's an imperative, so it is a command for you and I to obey. And it's also present tense, which means that you and I are continually to be obeying. We are to be working out our salvation. Interesting little word, working out. It is of a miner who goes down into a mine shaft. And he is working out the precious mineral, gold, silver, whatever. He is working out that mineral and he's bringing it to the top. So Paul's using this word. He's saying, hey, now that you've been justified, you are now in this lifelong process of being sanctified, being set apart for God, being changed into the image of Christ. And you and I have a part in it because it says that you and I are to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. In other words, urgency and with sincerity and with like, this is a part of what God has called me to. Because I want you to look at verse 13 because he says this, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And you know, you know this, if you, if you are a believer, you know this. You know that it is God in you that is doing this in you. He is giving you this will. I love Ron Scarberry. Ron, he's the guy back there that controls our sound. And Ron will say it like this. When he got saved, he got a new wanter. God gave him a new want to. God gives you this desire to follow after him, to obey what his word says, to live a holy life, this new want to. But he not only gives you a new want to, but it says to work for his good pleasure. In other words, he gives you the ability to do so as well. If you will, in scripture, turn, if you will, to the left in your Bible to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 5. Uh, so many passages you could look at, but here, here's one again that just reminds us. 2 Corinthians 3, 5. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God. I want you, if you will, now take a hard right and go over to Hebrews 13. Hebrews chapter 13. Last chapter there in the book of Hebrews, right there at the end of that letter. Hebrews 13, verses 20 and 21. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. And so, again, God's good pleasure 
in our sanctification is that we are what? Being conformed more and more into the image of Christ. Probably it's never more clear than if you would turn to Romans chapter 8. So you'll go back right there in your Bible from Hebrews. Find Romans chapter 8 verses 28 and 29. And it's really clear there what God's purpose, His good purpose for you and I is that we would be conformed into the image of Christ. Romans chapter 8, verses 28 and 29. Many of us have heard this passage, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers." And if you've ever wondered what is God's purpose in your life after becoming a follower of Jesus, that is that you would cooperate with Him as He is transforming, conforming you and me into the image of Jesus. So you've probably heard this illustration. It's been used for years. Uh, A little guy, he's going through a a public park, and there's a sculpturist, and he has this huge block of some kind of a stone, maybe granite, and, and he's chipping away at this, and the little guy goes, hey, like, um, what are you doing? He goes, well, I'm, I'm carving out a horse, and the little guy's looking at that big chunk of rock, and he's like, well, how are you going to do that? And the easiest way the guy could explain it was, I'm going to chip away everything that doesn't look like a horse. And when I chip everything that doesn't look like a horse, then there you go. And so what's God doing in our lives? He is chipping away at everything in our lives that does not look like Christ. It is a lifelong chiseling process he's putting us through. So I I want to kind of... not add to or make the illustration better, but I'm going to add to and make the illustration better. Because oftentimes we think, when we think of this story, that when it comes to chipping away everything that doesn't look like Christ, in sanctification, maybe we've had this thought that it is God both holding the chisel and the hammer, and He is chiseling away everything that doesn't look like Christ. But I just want to suggest to you that when it comes to sanctification, God is holding the chisel because he knows exactly where, and I'll talk about me, he knows exactly in my life the areas that do not look like Christ. And so he places the chisel in the exact spot. But I want to suggest to you, he is not the only one hammering. In sanctification, you and I are holding the hammer. He is holding the chisel. But I can tell you, many times in my life, I'm more like this. Oh, I don't want, that hurts too much. That particular thing that doesn't look like Christ I don't really want to get that involved or that serious about it. When 
all through Scripture and the rest of our time, we'll talk about the urgency and the magnitude that you and I are to put into our sanctification is it's pick up the bigger hammer and get to Wayland. So if you came to my house, I like the blacksmith, and I've had many folk come over to my house, and we've been blacksmithing. And so at the beginning of it, we'll pull out the hot metal and we'll lay it on the anvil. And at times, uh, I have many hammers. So in a blacksmith shop, you have many hammers, not this one. It's, we, we don't use this one. This is pathetic right here, okay? If you want to work on your watch, you can do this, but you, you don't use this. But many a time, and when I started learning to blacksmith, I would pick up the smallest hammer and just dink around on it. When my instructor, and if you came to my house, I would say, get a bigger hammer. You need to get a bigger hammer. And then they'll start, you know, hammering on it, and I'll say, you need to put a little more effort into that. Like, you need to hit the metal while it's hot, and you need to hit it hard, and you need to hit it in the right place, and you need to keep hitting. And like when you get tired, you need to hit some more because it's going to take a, a little bit more effort into it. In fact, there have been times where I've actually come up, and the guy is holding the hammer, and I'll put my hand on his hand, and I say, I want you to hit it like this. And oftentimes, though, in our sanctification, we will just use the lighter. I'm just telling you me. I'll take the lighter way at it. When Scripture, as we'll look at it, tells me I need to get the bigger hammer and I need to put the effort in, again, not my justification because that's a done deal, but in my sanctification, I need to put into it. In fact, if you will, I want you to see this. If you will, turn to 2 Peter chapter 1. Probably more clear than any other place in Scripture that tells us about our, and I hope you hear it, effort in our sanctification is big. And so if you will, Second Peter chapter 1, we'll look at starting in verse 3 and walk through it for a minute. Second Peter Chapter 1. If you know anything about Second Peter, the rest of the two chapters, it's only three chapters long, the, the last two chapters are talking about false teachers. And so false teachers were coming and true believers were being confused by false doctrine. And so what Peter starts out with is like, hey, listen, you have a part in your growth in Christ. But if you do not take seriously your part in your growth, you will lack assurance. Because you'll see this in chapter 1. And when you lack assurance, you're short-sighted and almost blind, and you have forgotten that you've been delivered from your sin. And you can be easily swayed by false doctrine. So that's why Peter, in his first chapter of this second letter, is saying like, hey, there is some things that you must do in your sanctification. So if you will, start in verse 3, and it says this. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who has called to His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, 
have any escape from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. He is just described justified, justified by Christ alone. He has done this work in you. And then verse 5, he takes all of a sudden this shift for this very reason. For the very reason that all God has done in your life. In fact, it reminds me of Romans chapter 12. I'll just read it to you. Romans chapter 12, verse 1, it says this. I appeal to you, therefore, my brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship, or some of your translations would say, reasonable service. Because of what God has done in saving you, you are to give it all you have. Because, if you will, 1 Peter, verse 5, for this very reason, he is saying, for this very reason, make every effort. Again, some translations might say this, applying all diligence, do your utmost, Use every disciplined effort. Apply all your regenerated faculties. And it says this, that you are to make every effort to supplement. Some of y'all, your translation will say add to. Many times as a young Christian, I'd read that and think, he's talking about adding to my salvation. You can't add to your justification. It's a done deal. He is saying you are to supplement your sanctification. He is saying that you are to make every effort to supplement. Supplement came from a word for a choir director, for a music like Jonathan, who would supply everything, the people playing these instruments, and when there's a choir, he will supply everything they need, not sparingly, like, hey, I'm just going to give you a harmonica, you know, and a, I don't know, whatever, a couple of spoons, you know. No, he has supplied abundantly so that they could do what they've been called to do. It would be of a commander of an army who would supplement, supply everything his troops need to do what they've been called to do. So Peter is saying that you and I are to make every effort to supplement, we are to give to that, and it says this, and this will be for later on. But he says you are to supplement your faith with virtue, and then it works on out through other virtues. If you will, take your Bible, flip back to Philippians chapter 3 now. I want you to see in the life of Paul how seriously he took the effort that Peter is talking about making every effort. Philippians, if you will, chapter 3, verses 12 and 13. Philippians 3, 12 and 13. It says, Not that I have already obtained this, or I'm already perfected, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have 
made it my own. But one thing I do, I am forgetting what lies behind and I am straining forward to what lies ahead. And if you know Paul, his metaphors that he uses more than anyone in Scripture of that of athletics. I don't know if Paul was an athlete as a young man or if he just enjoyed them. But here he's talking about a runner. And if you've ever ran cross country or track, you would understand what he's saying here. He is saying he is forgetting what lies behind. So in other words, if you're a runner in cross country or track, which I did both. Now, you might ask, do I still run? No. (laughs) Because I ran cross country and ran track in high school. I don't need to run. All the running I did is benefited me for the rest of my life. And that is a big lie. You know that. But um, I don't want to step on any toes, even though I know of a cross-country coach in here today. But my coach ran the run out of me. He just really did. But if you were a runner, you would know this. Because the moment you take your eyes off of running and you're looking back, like, who's behind you? How far ahead am I? Or how close are they? I'm telling you, two things happen. You lose focus and momentum. It might be for a split second, but you lose momentum. You lose your focus. And I would just kind of add here for just a minute, some of us in this room, the things in the past you are still hanging on to, I would encourage you what Paul says. I'm forgetting. I'm leaving that behind. I'm I'm moving forward. I'm forgetting. I'm moving forward. For some, that might be the only thing you need to hear today. Because the thing is, always looking back, you're losing focus and momentum. But he says this. And straining forward to that which lies ahead. Again, if you're a runner, you know what this means. So in cross country, your meets were three miles. Our coach at two and a half miles would be waiting for us. That's when he started hounding us. Like, get with it. Like, for two and a half miles, I haven't been getting with it. He says, he's saying for the next half mile, you're going to give it all you got. And I don't know, there were other guys on my team, they had this reserve. I never could find that reserve. I I never knew where that was because I had already run it out. But there were guys on my team that last half mile, man, they picked it up and they gave it all they had. And if you've ever ran track, maybe just the short distance, you know that at the very end, you give everything you got. You are straining forward to the finish line. You're giving every effort supplying to your run to finish that thing. And Paul is saying, that is what I do. In fact, let me just read to you, if you would, Paul saying to Timothy in 1 Timothy 4.7. He says, have nothing to do with irreverent silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. The word train, you probably know this, is the word gymnasium. Gymnastics, discipline, train yourself, Timothy, put your all into it. Another one, if you would, 2 Corinthians 3.18, listen if you will. 
And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord. You know what it means to behold? It, it literally means beheld by. You and I this morning, as we were worshiping, we should be held by. Our focus should be being held on the glory of Christ, what He's done for us, what He is doing for us, what He has brought us through, the sins that He has forgiven us, all that He's brought us through. So we should be held by, we should be holding. And it goes on to say, beholding, and we are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord who is in spirit. And so it might go like this. Through Scripture, as we gaze at Jesus, we're being transformed. When we take communion, we are gazing at Jesus, we're being transformed. In biblical sound worship, thank you, Jonathan. But in biblical sound worship, we are gazing at Jesus. In prayer, in scripture reading, in our private time of devotion in the Word and with Jesus, we are gazing at Him. He is changing us from one glory to the next, to the image of Christ. In fact, I would maybe say it like this, making every effort is placing ourselves in paths of transforming grace. In other words, we talk a lot about here like being a part of a group of other believers, like ABF or maybe a Wednesday night. Or There's some of you guys I know that meet on Thursday mornings, and some of y'all have a Saturday morning guys group, and there are ladies who get together here and there. And the thing is, God, you know, uses His Word, His Spirit, and His people in our sanctification. And that is one way that you and I place ourselves in the path of God doing a work in our lives, and that is with other believers. And sometimes, uh, as believers, we'll shun from that and go like, well, it's me and Jesus, we got our own thing going. But God determined that it would be other believers as well in our life with our sanctification. And so I would encourage you, if, if you're not a part of a group or with another, at least another believer, and you're honing and sharpening one another, that you would do that. That's a, a means of grace that God would use to change your life. Your personal quiet time of having a daily time where you and the Lord and His Word, you get together and you, for uh, however long it is, that you will concentrate, you will Focus in on what does the Word say and how does this apply to my life? How am I going to change this? I just have to tell you, if I miss a daily quiet time, I feel messed up the rest of the day. I guess that's the best way to say it. If I miss a quiet time in the morning, it's become a part of my life. It's I am with Jesus. I am seeking Him. I am seeking His Word. I, I, I don't mean this. I don't, this is in no way bragging, but I have to tell you, last Sunday morning, before I ever got here, 
to fellowship with you all and to worship. At 3.30 in the morning, I was in my backyard with a campfire. I was worshiping Jesus. And then the sun came up and, oh, I got to get around and get to church. And then to be able to come and be with you all. I had already been with the Lord and then coming and being with you all, worship the Lord. What a wonderful day. Daily that you get with the Lord. It might be this, that are you using your God-given gifts for a a believer, every one of us in this room, God has gifted us. And he is meaning for us to use those gifts for his glory and the good of other people. And the thing is, one of the most joyless Christians I know, because I've been one before, is that God has gifted me and yet I'm holding it close and I'm not sharing it or serving with it or giving it or helping someone else with the gift that God has given me. I'm holding it in. And that's what causes joylessness. Joy is taking what God has given you, that gift he's gifted you with, and giving it freely. And here's the deal. It never runs out. It'll never run out. You might get tired, but that gift will never run out. In fact, on your quotes, I just call your attention to this one last time. In a book called Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life, I highly recommend it by Whitney. Think of the spiritual disciplines as ways we can place ourselves in the paths of God's grace and seek Him as blind Bartimaeus, if you'll remember that story, and then Zacchaeus, the wee little man who couldn't see Jesus, but he placed himself in his path placed themselves in Jesus' path and sought him. I would encourage you, every effort to do that. Would you just listen to this as I close? To be sanctified is to have your faith deepen and applied to all of life. To grow as a saint is to grow in loving people. How other people are doing matters increasingly to you. You care and you help. You're growing in hope. You know the purpose of your life. You roll up your sleeves and you get about doing what needs to be done. You are honestly thankful for good things and you honestly face disappointment, pain, illness, and dying. Perhaps the most dramatic evidence of headway in sanctification is that you no longer think much about yourself. You are finding yourself when you lose yourself and you worry less about who you are. And the truth is, as a justified follower of Jesus who is in the process of being sanctified into the image of Jesus. Who you and I are is a sinner forgiven, a sufferer who is sheltered. Because becoming a believer, Jesus never said, no more pain. But you're a sufferer and you're sheltered. And you're a saint in process of becoming more like Christ.
Would you bow your heads with me? Close your eyes. My encouragement this morning from the scriptures is, for this very reason, that is your justification, that you would make every effort to supplement, that is, your eagerness, your urgency, your effort in your sanctification. Because Peter says on in the chapter, if you lack these, if you're not putting it in, oftentimes a lack of assurance is sure to follow. A lack of fruitlessness is sure to follow. A lack of having confidence is sure to follow. But if these things are in you and are growing, that's what you and I want. We want to encourage one another. We want to take the hammer that God has given us through His Word, through other people. We want to be a part in our growth, our effort, our God-enabled effort. So, Father, I'd pray that for anyone even here today, who has never experienced justification of calling out to you and when they hear your voice calling out, submitting that you would be their Lord, being granted repentance to turn from wicked ways to you. And I pray that even today you would grant them that faith and repentance, even where they're setting to turn to you today. I would pray for those of us that have been and they're in this process. Once again, just be reminded of the urgency and what you have called us to and what you are doing in our lives of giving us the will, the want to, and the power to do this, that we would take full advantage of growing in holiness and Christ-likeness and walking with you. And I pray that you would give us the urgency. Maybe even this morning some have toyed or played with sin and they have slacked. And I pray this morning that you would open up their heart, help them to repent, help them to turn, help them. Help us to be about growing in you, being effective for your glory, for the good of others, and that we could experience the joy that comes from becoming more and more like your son. I pray in Jesus' name.